Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard, I could easily change that to the miserable Monday edition of The Yard because I'm not really happy today. I know many of you aren't as well. The weekend series did not go the way we had hoped. I had cautioned you guys a little bit on Friday that I was worried about the series because they had been pretty good at home. And, again, you just kind of look at their numbers. They just kind of grind you out. We don't always win those types of games. We didn't win two this weekend. Very detrimental to our season, to say the least. I'm not going to sit up here and glad hand you about all this and just say, hey, it's all going to be okay. Yeah, is it possible for us to still make the NCAA tournament? Yes. Is it probable? No. Not at this point. You know, maybe you get hot down the stretch. Maybe you maybe you take the maybe you sweep Florida, take a series at A and M, and all of a sudden you're right back in the thick of things. Then yeah, but as of today, no. And what a difference a week makes. You know, some last week, you know, we'd won the uh, the season series against Ole Miss. We're getting ready to go play the Governor's game. We're like, ah, it's okay. We don't need the Governor's game. Getting ready to head to Mizzou. We'll do no worse than win the series. We're hopeful for a sweep. I kind of cautioned against that last week, too. I mean, nobody swept them at home all year this year. And give them a lot of credit. I mean, they play up on a hill in a windy ballpark, and uh, it worked out for them. We're going to recap the series as much as I don't really want to, and we're going to talk about kind of where we are. Before we get into all that, too, I want to mention to you guys, too, for those of you that keep up with college football recruiting, and I know a lot of you do, we don't do a ton of recruiting stuff on the show this time of year. But... Um, you know, a lot of discussion, you know, but hey, we didn't, you know, we didn't offer Dante Dowdell, the running back out of uh, Picayune. I like him. I don't know that I like him as a running back, but I think the guy's an SEC athlete. I think you have to go get that guy. But for one reason or another, we didn't offer. But now, Katie, Texas high school running back Seth Davis, who has visited campus multiple times, former commitment of Duke, is now going to announce his decision May 23rd at 7 p.m. local time. The finalists are Cal, Utah, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Mizzou. Mississippi State is the favorite. I don't know what the, you know, the significance of May 23rd is. You know, maybe that's just when they could do a thing. Maybe there's something going on at the school. Don't know. But that's the day, May 23rd, 7 p.m. We'll talk about that as we get a little bit closer. But uh, we're you're basically three weeks away from that. But it uh, looks like Mississippi State in line to pick up a quality running back commitment. He is uh, a little bit on the smaller side. He's more of a scat back type guy that is a phenomenal receiver out of the backfield. So he kind of fits what we want to do. But, uh, you know, last year as a junior, 2,460 yards rushing, 28 touchdowns. And uh, Katie, Texas, if you guys are unfamiliar, out in Texas. Yeah, Katie, Texas, obviously in Texas. But Katie High School out there, they are a, uh, they're a powerhouse. So this guy comes from you know, good pedigree as far as football goes. And so that's big news on the recruiting front. And uh, Paul Jones and I both really felt like, you know, when he took that official visit here a couple weeks ago, that it was just really a matter of time before he decommitted. I mean, obviously it's a lot closer to, uh, to Starkville. 
But I think in the end, it's really about the scheme, the fit, you know, proximity to home doesn't hurt. But uh, it's a long way, you know, from Katy, Texas to Durham. But the reality of it is he made a commitment early on, and I think now he realizes that he can get utilized a lot greater in the Mississippi State scheme and uh, really just kind of felt like the vibe after that visit was, hey, I think this kid's fixing a flip. And then he ends up decommitting from Duke, and uh, now kind of here we are. So kind of counting down the days now, but uh, looks like that'll be a commitment uh, later this month for Mississippi State. Again, we'll monitor it. And, and if you are somebody that keeps up with college football recruiting, we encourage you to come join us over at jeanspage.com. We, we talk recruiting every day over there. And uh, it has been kind of, I, I hate to say, a slow start because there's not a lot of people in the conference that are really just kind of running away with recruiting right now. You know, Arkansas, I guess, is one you look at. But uh, it does appear that everybody, at least around these parts, is uh, kind of taking their time. You know, Ole Miss got a couple commitments. You know, State's got three. It's just kind of like I think people want to get out and see guys in the spring evaluation period, which is undergoing uh, under underway now, excuse me. And then we have the summer camps of June uh, and July. So just kind of a more measured approach. And so we might see some commitments in May. Not a lot of guys really talking about making early decisions this year either. And, uh, you know, that's a thing, too. I, I think maybe that's for the best for everybody involved. You know, if you grow up, let's say for an example, I mean, you grow, let's say you grow up in the heart of Cajun country. You know, it's like I, it's been my dream to be an LSU Tiger my whole life. Well, you get the offer. I mean, what, what are you waiting for? You know, why do you want, why do you want to go play a game for the recruiting process? So if you really love LSU, you go commit. You kind of recruit other guys to join you. You become kind of a cornerstone of your class. It really endears you to fans, too. Fans are like, oh, yeah, I follow this kid on Twitter. Man, he's always out there, you know, pushing for, for the Tigers. It's the same thing for these Mississippi kids. I mean, look at a guy like Joseph Head. Guys always want to play at Mississippi State. He gets the opportunity to commit. He does. So, yeah, I respect it. There are some other guys that say, hey, I want to kind of go through the process. And, and then they find out that the process isn't maybe what they thought it would be. They get out and go to a few camps, and it's like, ah, you know, I want to get this thing done. I don't want to have this hanging over my head. There are a few guys – that have the juice to kind of stretch this thing out. Some schools will wait on them. Some won't. Uh, speaking of uh, stretching things out, you know, interesting, uh, Makai Polk undrafted, that's former Mississippi State wide receiver Makai Polk undrafted, which is kind of, you know, I guess brought that conversation that uh, Steve Spurrier Jr. had with Matt Wyatt back to the forefront when Spurrier said, you know, that he needed to come back. And chances are he wasn't going to be drafted. I'm paraphrasing there. And uh, my, here's my talk about – here's my thoughts about that. Um, I think everybody should be able to say whatever they want to say. You know, if they know the, what the situation is, you know, they should be able to say it. I mean, if people say, well, some things should be said in public. And, and a lot of people pushing that narrative kind of have an anti-Mike Leach uh, positioning anyway. It's like anything we can use to be critical of the staff, they're going to use it. Uh, I don't understand that. I'm a Mississippi State guy. I love Mississippi State. Uh, I support the coaches that are here as long as they are the coaches here uh, at Mississippi State. And I will be honest with you, there have been a couple of them that's been very difficult. You know, it's been very difficult down the stretch. Um, but the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, Steve Spurrier was right. And at the end of the day, a lot of this banner back and forth, nobody, everybody's kind of missing a central issue here. Is that a guy that we love – and a guy that came in here and gave us a record-breaking season didn't get drafted. That's the bigger issue. It's not about what was said and should it have been said or when it was said or what format it was said and the motive it was said. None of that matters. What matters is a Mississippi State Bulldog 
who gave us some tremendous memories last year, bet on himself and went undrafted. Now, there were a lot of people in, this, in the building that said, hey, here's the feedback we're getting from teams. And that kind of fell on deaf ears. And so I support Makai Polk. I hope that uh, even I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I hope he makes a team with the Ravens and has a great career. I, I do. But I think the cautionary tale is, here is your coaches know. A lot of people think, well, the coach is just saying this because they want him to come back. You know, the, the flip side of this is if Makai Polk's drafted the second round, then all of a sudden Steve Spurrier Jr. can say, hey, Mr. Transfer guy. Makai Polk was underutilized to Cal. He came here, had a record-breaking season, and ended up getting drafted in the second round. So it's not like Steve Spurrier Jr. is rooting against Makai Polk. Steve Spurrier Jr., in my opinion, is doing what he thinks is best for Makai Polk by encouraging him to come back. He didn't. It didn't work out. We love Makai. We wish the best for Makai. We wish he would have come back. He didn't. So now we wish he makes a team. And, but let's be honest with ourselves here. I mean, you know, you know, the, the days of, you know, these guys being able to come out and, and have the big impact with the way that these analytics and that kind of stuff is, it, it's a different day and time. Like, you can't hide your deficiencies. And the reality of it is, is, you know, Makai was a guy that wasn't very good after the catch. And that's not being critical of him. That's just a statement of fact. He really wasn't that great after the catch. But he was great – as a route runner, he was great as a possession guy, and I think there's a place for a guy like that even in the modern NFL. But, you know, nowadays there's just so many people out there. You know, there's just so many opportunities to evaluate guys. You know, you're not really going to be able to kind of mask some of the things that perhaps uh, you're not good at. And I, I think in the end that's one of the reasons that Makai didn't get drafted. It's just his inability to get run after the catch. Probably needed to come back another year and, and prove that. But, you know, hey, the milk is spilled now. Now we just kind of wish him the best, and we hope in the future that uh, you know, perhaps guys that are you know, on the bubble of being drafted or undrafted free agents will maybe use this and say, you know what, maybe I should listen to my coaches. All right, let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I was in there yesterday. I had the country fried steak burger. That's right. That's right. And it is a country fried steak. I, they put two patties on my burger. I don't know if it's just because they love me. Uh, or because that's the regular thing. Uh, it has mushroom gravy on it, so be prepared for that. It's not the little white sawmill gravy you get, you know, at other places. And so uh, it may be a little different for you. I liked it. I hope that you guys do as well. Also notice, too, the uh, the Nashville hot chicken sandwich. I, uh, I will be back in there soon to get that. You know, that's one of the things, too, that I love. It's like I know there's the consistency when I go in there. I know what to order. And sometimes I don't even look at the menu. But yesterday, I knew they were going to be adding some new items. I said, let me take a look at this. And so I had that country fried steak burger. It's, it's very different. I mean, it is. And, I, and I, I'm a country fried steak guy. Matter of fact, uh, on my way to Vicksburg, Saturday for the book signing down at Lorelei Books, I was on the hunt for a, uh, for a country fried steak. Didn't get one. And so I satisfied that craving last night at Bulldog Burger Company. So you go by and check them out. And, again, it's always something new and fresh. Every now and again, they'll shake things up a little bit. And you're thinking, hey, I've had every hamburger here. I know what's available to me. And then you go in there and it's like, hey, there's something fresh. There's something new. And, and these folks, too, listen, it's never just one of these things where they just kind of throw it all together and hope for the best. They know what they're doing. 
Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and check them out. Have the spring rolls for your appetizer that make you and everybody around you better looking. I had the spring rolls last night, woke up this morning, did not recognize myself in the mirror. Simple as that. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a uh, let's get back to the show now. We've got a, a couple things, obviously, to address here. Let's let's jump into game one. This was the one that was fun, right? Interesting note too. You know, Luke Mann at Missouri, leadoff hitter from Mizzou, and R.J. Yeager, leadoff hitter Mississippi State. Both leadoff hitters lead their team in in home runs. That's that's kind of an unusual statistic. You rarely, you rarely see that, especially on the college level. But let's get into it. Uh, game one, State gets off to a good start, obviously. R.J. Yeager hits the second pitch of the ball game over the left field wall for a home run. It's one nothing State. Luke Hancock grounds out the third. LT grounds out the short. And Hines walks. I thought Hunter Hines had a pretty decent weekend. And Encumbus grounds out the second. So it's a one nothing ball game, milled first. Brandon Smith, the guy who I thought had to be money for us, and he really was. I thought Brandon was outstanding. Uh, gets... Right out of the gate, we're getting things going our way here. It's a ground out to third for Austin. Mann then strikes out swinging. Uh, Day singles to short, and then Montgomery flies out to left. And so, you know, pretty efficient inning there. And, again, the single to shortstop, and you roll up a ground ball there, and sometimes they get an infield hit. Top of second, State adds to the lead. Uh, Kellum Clark singles to center field. Cam Jang singles. Cam, who had a good, good game, too, and a decent weekend. Cam singles to the left side. Clark goes to second. Davis tries to bunt here, and um, he's out. You know, um, <laughs> this didn't work out for us. We pop up at the catcher here. And those are things that just absolutely infuriate me. You know, it's like, especially, and this is, I still think Just Davis is a center fielder. I, I, to me, I think he is the, the best defender we have, and I think that he has a skill set to play to a lot of other guys doesn't. But this is, this is one of those things here. You, you have got to get this bunt down. All of a sudden, you'd have runners in second and third, nobody out. Then Forsyth strikes out looking. Fortunately, Jaeger comes through with a double to left field. Uh, this scores another run. Could have been a much bigger inning there. Hancock uh, rolls over one, and he's out at first there. So it's 2 nothing. But, again, you, know, you start the inning off with back-to-back hits. you got to score. And then you think here, you, know, you have your eight and nine-hole hitters just really not come through, and then R.J. has to kind of pick you up there. Our bottom of second, Brandon with a great inning here, one, two, three. Uh, Loom strikes out, Coletta singles to left, and then we get a double play and get out of the deal. And that's what happens when you've got a sinker ball pitcher like Brandon. We saw one on Saturday against us in Spencer Miles. But uh, top of third, uh, LT strikes out swinging, Hines and singles to left field. Again, he had a good weekend. Cumbus flies out to left, and then Clark flies out to center. Nothing doing for State. So, again, traffic, traffic on the bases for us. Just not really coming through there. Bottom of third, uh, we get a – whilst my ground's out the short, uh, DeSantis is hit by the pitch, but then we respond and get back-to-back strikeout swinging. So, through three innings, Brandon Smith really doing well. And, again, he's had you know, had somebody on, on base, but uh, kind of pitching around it. Top of four, State finally breaks through and kind of gets some separation in the game. Cam James doubles down the line. Just Davis strikes out swinging Forsyth and singles to right field. R.J. a tank to left to put uh, three runs on the board. Excuse me, two runs on the board because uh, Cam scored on Lane's single. And Lane had a good weekend. What did he have, five, six hits? 
Jaeger homers, of course, makes it a five-nothing ball game. Hancock flies out to left. Tanner flies out to left. Uh, bottom of four, Brandon gets day to strike out swinging. We give up a single to center. Then we get a fly out from Loom, and then Coletta strikes out swinging. So again, yeah, you know, they're kind of, they're getting a guy on base, but Brandon's doing a good job kind of holding him at bay. Top of five, State with another big inning here. Hines singles to center. Again, big weekend for the kid. Uh, Cumbus singles through the left side. Then we get runners at first and second. They make a, a change here and bring in Cush, who's the guy that started against us last year. He's just kind of falling on the wayside. He walks Kellum Clark to load the bases there. So bases loaded, nobody out. We got to make something happen. Cam James singles back to the middle. We get uh, a run home, make it 6 nothing. Jess Davison singles to left, drives in two more. It is now 8 nothing. Forsyth grounds out to third. Um, basically works as a bunt here. Now you got runners at second, third. You still got less than two outs. You got a chance to make some things happen. But then Jaeger, one of the only times he didn't come through, grounds out to short. We do get the run home, nine nothing. And then Hancock flies out to right. So it's nine nothing after five. And I think at this point we all felt like, you know what, we're in great shape. This game is over. Brandon's throwing up zeros. Enough separation in this game that we ought to be able to save the bullpen. We give up a solo shot the very first pitch of the fifth. Lovich hits it out, makes it 9-1. to one. Wolfsmeyer then grounds out the second. Deseda strikes out swinging. Austin sends singles to right center, and then Mann flies out to left, which that proved to be a really big deal as the weekend get on. We had trouble getting that guy out. All right, top of six, State answers the, the Missouri one run and then raises him another. LT singles to left, and Hines singles to right field. And this is on an 0-2 count, too. I mean, how many times have we seen him early in the year get behind in strikes and then kind of get caught guessing? Cumba strikes out swinging, then Hines advances to second on a wild pitch. Uh, Tanner to third. So now you get runners at second, third less than two outs. Kellen Clark comes through with a big double to right field, chases on with two runs, makes it 11-1. Kim James flies out to left. Davis walks after a lengthy at-bat there. Then Forsyth grounds out to the pitcher. Uh, to end the inning. It's now 11-1, to 1, going to bottom of six. Uh, Day opens the inning with a infield single. Uh, then Montgomery singles to third base. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we've had – it's really nobody's fault here. You know, it's like Brandon's getting under the pitch. They're just not hitting the ball hard enough. Tough play there. One of those plays kind of took Cam out of the uh, – in the foul ground there. But it's now – all of a sudden, even though it's a 10-run game, you want to be able to execute at a high level here. Brandon comes right back, right back. We get a K swing of Loom, then Coletta grounds out to third, which basically works like a bunt, moves the runners up, but we're able to get the second out. And then Lovich pops up to third. So even though we had some trouble there, Brandon made him hit his pitch. And sometimes it just happens that way. All right, top of seven, they bring in Trey Roberts in their relation to me. He gets RJ to strike out looking, Hancock and singles, and uh, tries to stretch it to a double and uh, gets thrown out at second. Uh, then LT singles to third, and Hines grounds out to second on 2-0 count there. All right, bottom of seven, you know, you know really good job here. You know, another, another great job here. Just kind of, you know, Brandon Smith trying to make this thing happen. And then we get a clean inning here. For, well, for the most part, we face a minimum here. Wilsmeyer flies out to center, and we walk to Sadis after a lengthy at-bat. The very first pitch, we get a tailor-made. 6-4-3 double play to get out of it. At this point, it's 10 runs, and we're headed to the eighth. You think, you know what? This thing is over, and it was. And we made sure that it was over in the top half of the eighth. Compass flies out to left. 
Kellum Clark homers to right center, and then uh, Cameron James homers to left field. It's 13-1 to now. Um, they end up walking Slade Offord, who pinch hit, and then uh, we ground into a double play to end the inning. But it's 13-1 to here. At this point, everybody's like, let's just get out of here. And then Brandon Smith gives up a home run to Luke Mann, who was an exceptional player. There's no doubt about it. One of the top home run hitters in the, in the SEC. We just had a trouble even pitching around him. Uh, day singles to right. The Montgomery flies out to left. Loom walks. And that's the day for Brandon Smith, who was outstanding. Brandon was absolutely outstanding. Of course, in the eighth, he's beginning to tire a little bit. And so as a result, they start to hit him some location falters a little bit. But, hey, the guy did his job and did it well. We bring in Drew Talley, who walks a guy, lengthy at bat here, but we weren't able to finish here. We get a fly out to center. gives up the sack fly, RBI, to make it 13-3. And then Drew gets a case swinging. 13-3. We go to top of nine. They bring in another pitcher. And, um, you know, we, not, not much going on here, but we did we were able to put the ball in play. Jaeger flies out to center. Hancock grounds out to second. Luke's rolling over the right side a lot. You know, he had a decent day on, on Saturday. But uh, I don't know if it's just something mechanical or whatever. We've got to figure some things out there. Luke's putting the ball in play, but a lot of times it's become kind of a routine ground ball. LT singles to right center on an 0-2 count. And then uh, Von Siebert pinch hits for Hines and grounds out the second. 13-3 going to bottom of nine. We keep uh, Tally in the ball game. Uh, Cologne homers to left field, makes it 13-4. Then Pena doubles to right center. Starting, I mean, you're not nervous here, but you'd like to see Drew finish a little cleaner than this. Uh, then we get a fly out to right field, runner tags and takes third. We get a strikeout looking, fly out to left to end the ball game. So Mississippi State wins 13-4. Let's take a look inside the numbers here real quick. And I guess, you know, really, it's a, it's not the game that you maybe expected. It's a game you wanted. You thought, let's get off to a good start here. I know there's always this self-loathing element of our fan base. It's like, oh, we should have saved some of their runs. You can't. I know it sounds cute. You can't. You go out there and you hit 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 and you hit. And you try to score as many runs as you can. And especially in a weekend series because you make them have to burn another arm or heat another guy up. Now, they're not going to use a lot of quality arms in a 13-4 ball game. But you know what? You keep hitting and you keep getting those guys on the ropes a little bit. You put a little doubt in their minds. So, now you can't save runs. Wish we could save some runs. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. So, uh, R.J. Yeager gave one uh, three of six, five RBIs, an outstanding effort from him. Luke, one for six. Logan Tanner, three of six. Hunter Hines, three for four with a couple of runs scored and a walk. Uh, Brad Cumbus, just one for five. Kellum Clark, three for four in the ball game. Cam James, four for five. Uh, Jess Davis, one for three. Lane Forsyth, one for five. Uh, and then Brandon Smith, outstanding job from Brandon. Seven and a third innings pitch, nine hits, three runs. And a couple of those hits, three, I think three of those uh, nine hits were all infield singles. Uh, three earned runs, two walks, eight Ks, and uh, a one hit by pitch, 111 pitches. So Brennan Smith uh, moves his record to three and three. And uh, Drew Talley, one and two-thirds of an inning pitch, two hits, one run. Uh, it was earned, a walk, two Ks, and 32 pitches. And uh, good to get it done. Good to get it done. And uh, – Again, they're throwing guys in one inning stints kind of after that. But uh, you knew at that point you had burned Jacob Cush, but he had not done much in the SEC at all. Former starter just has not really done much at all. 
And uh, so let's award our prime shrimp player of the game. That award is going to go to R.J. Yeager. Uh, three for six, and even one of his outs was a productive one where he scores a run there, five RBI. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point R.J. Yeager is your best player. And uh, prime shrimp, your best option for shrimp. So it kind of works together there. Go to primeshrimp.com today and be sure and go check them out. There's four great flavors to choose from. Uh, the Simply Season, the French Quarter Alfredo, the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl, and uh, the brand new one, the, the garlic butter. You'll be glad you've tried those things. I'm telling you, the thing about it is I love shrimp, but sometimes you think, man, I'd love to have some shrimp, but it's just so much trouble. And it is. It really is. It's a lot of trouble. Whether you're boiling it or not, whether you're buying it somewhere, it's already store-bought, it's already cooked, whatever. You still got to peel them. You still got to devein them in some situations. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. You know, maybe enjoy shrimp. It's a little more hassle-free, and you can get that from primeshrimp.com. Be sure and go check it out. And use Boneyard as your promo code to save you a little money because here's what they're going to do. They're going to send you a very well-packaged box of shrimp with these neat little pouches in there. It's going to be well-packed. It's not going to spoil sitting on your on your front porch, even if it takes all day for you to get home. You throw those pouches in the fridge, and excuse me, in the freezer. The next thing you know, you come home one day and say, hey, I think I'm going to have some shrimp, and maybe I'll have some, uh, some shrimp fettuccine alfredo. Maybe I'll have a shrimp salad. And all you got to do is boil a pot of water, open up that pouch, drop those shrimp in there. They're ready to cook. They're ready to go. You throw the pouch away. You, Ten minutes later, you come back, and you're ready to eat high-quality shrimp. PrimeShrimp.com your sponsor for the player of the game. And they use, again, use promo code Boneyard. So you're feeling great about the weekend at this point. You say, you know what, we, we've come out here and battered those guys around. You know, they threw their best starter today. Surely we can get another one. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. 13-4, feeling pretty good about life. And all of a sudden, you start, you're starting to gain some ground. You catch Alabama, you're like, hey, you know, hey, we got a chance to move into the top six in the league, man, if we can somehow find a way to take this series in three games. Didn't work out that way. Let's get into the bad part of it, shall we? But before we do, let's take a moment to savor our one win, and we'll go to the top ten list. We'll go to the top ten list today, and then we'll get into what's next, our two losses, and then kind of where we stand and what we need to look at going, kind of going forward. I mean, I'm not ready to give up on a season, but I'll be honest with you guys. It's like – you know, based on the current projections and the trajectory of the team, you know, this is a, a huge loss for us, losing this series. I mean, there's no, there's no way to sugarcoat that. I mean, I'm a baseball realist. I love Mississippi State baseball. Are we capable of winning these final series? We absolutely are. You know, the Tennessee series is one you look at and say, ah, it's going to be tough there. They hadn't lost a series all year. And so that was what made this weekend so important is because even if you got swept by Tennessee, you could still get to 14, possibly 15 SEC wins now you've given one of those opportunities away. There's just no margin for error now. Now Mississippi State's got to go out and sweep either Florida or Texas A&M to make this a realistic possibility unless we're going to go win the SEC tournament. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Close with Blair, as in closing loans. Because coffee is for closers, which means Blair gets a lot of it. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in mortgage lending 
customer satisfaction. That's a cool thing, right? So you got the best guy with the best company doing the best job for you. Many of you have said, you know what, Steve, the, the dream of home ownership has eluded me. You know, maybe I'm an atypical borrower. Maybe I'm just not non, I'm non-conforming to all these underwriting guidelines. You know, maybe my credit hadn't been the best. Blair can help you with all that. I'm not guaranteeing you an approval, but here's the thing. If anybody can get you approved, it's going to be Blair Chandler. Uh, visit him today at his website, closeofblair.com. But here's the thing, too. If you contact him by, you know, homing pigeon, you know, telegraph, uh, you know, what's the dancing telegram thing, whatever. Maybe you have somebody go and sing him a song. Maybe that's fine. Whatever. If you mention to him, you heard about him on the barnyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Blair's phone number. Let me just tell you this. Let's go, let's go ahead and skip all the bureaucracy. You know what I mean? Like there's some places you work and you, you have to leave a, a message with a receptionist or a voicemail and you, and you can't, you can't ever get a call back. Not with Blair. Very responsive. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. How about that? You can call or text today, 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. And let me just say too, there are a lot of people out there thinking, you know what, Steve, I just don't want to go through. I don't get my hopes up again. Yeah, here's the deal. If Blair can't get you closed chances are you can't be closed but what he can do is help maybe get you on a path that maybe six months to a year down the road you'd be in a better position to do that so again close blair.com reach out to him today all right our friend jason green longtime listener of the show he messaged me occasionally to talk top 10 list and uh said hey steve how about some of your favorite road albums and so this is uh let me preface this a little bit by saying okay so these are some of my favorite albums, but one of the reasons that I enjoy listening to these things on the road is because I can listen to them in their, in their entirety. You know, it's like I put it on, I know that I'm going to have a quality experience for the next hour to 90 minutes and not have to constantly look at my phone and think about what I want to listen to next. I don't want to be a distracted driver, even though sometimes I put on podcasts and I hear some things out there and I just kind of laugh at. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that... Um, these are the albums that I listen to. I can put them on, and uh, they're great road tunes because you just get a chance to kind of chill and enjoy the ride. So here are a few honorable mentions that didn't make the list, and I have a few. Uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, just about anything from Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I listen to Kenny Wayne Shepherd a lot when I'm on the road, usually when I'm on the way to somewhere rather than on the way home. Like if I'm on my way to Arkansas or something, I'll listen to Kenny Wayne Shepherd. And my favorite album from him is Trouble Is. Even though I love the, the later stuff too. I know many of you, you know, you heard Blue on Black. And you're like, oh, that's great. And then you kind of moved on from Kenny Wayne Shepherd. You did yourself a disservice. Kenny Wayne Shepherd is incredible. Uh, Seven Dust album, Cold Day Memory, is probably my favorite album of theirs. I like it. Uh, it's another one you can just kind of let go. All I See Is War is another one of theirs that you can just kind of let it roll. Uh, Dawkins Under Lock and Key, a classic Metal album from the 80s. Not a bad track on it. I do like um, Tooth and Nail a lot, too. I just think the production value of Tooth and Nail is not as good as it was for Underlock and Key. I think the record company wasn't sure what to make of Doc and even two records in. And I wish that they had recorded that with a little better quality. I'm looking forward to them maybe remastering that. Uh, Papa Roach, the Paramore Sessions, I think is incredible. And then Nothing More. That's one of my favorite new rock bands of the last uh, 10 years band called Nothing More, and the self-titled album Nothing More, I think is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Seen him live, met Johnny, the singer, they're great. All right, so here we go. The top 10 
road albums for me uh, to satisfy Jason Green's request. Okay, number 10. This is a band that I have seen several times and I uh, have met Jesse Hayek, the singer. We've talked about them on the show before, but it's the band 10 Years out of Knoxville, Tennessee. The My favorite album from them, the road album for me, I could have gone with Division. I really like Division a lot, but Division is a little bit more laid back. I like Feeding the Wolves because when I'm on the road trying to get trying to get going, Feeding the Wolves is the one for me. The song Fix Me is my favorite song off of the 10 Years Feeding the Wolves album. Uh, number nine, the band Alter Bridge. And to me, the greatest album in their catalog is Blackbird, which was their second album. The very first album was uh, basically already kind of put together. You know, One Day Remains was kind of already put together. Uh, when it, A lot of that was material that was originally written for Creed. And so, of course, they move on from Scott Stapp and they, they hire Miles Kennedy. And so... Blackbird is when you begin to see more of collaboration between Mark Tremonti and Miles Kennedy when it came to you know, song composition and uh, you know dual guitar. And Miles Kennedy brought the song "Watch Over You" with him into these writing sessions and said he had never been able to kind of figure it out. And it was Mark Tremonti that helped him figure out the bridge. Ultimately, became a huge hit for them. But I went with the song "Blackbird," and uh, one of the reasons why is. Uh, when my dad died, this was a song that really kind of learned to help me cope with his death. And so I have a Blackbird tattoo on my right arm, and many of you have, may have seen it. But uh, it's the first tattoo that I got that wasn't covered by a, uh, a sleeve, you know, like you wear a T-shirt or wear, you know, a button-up shirt. And I, and I had all my stuff on my shoulders or whatever. This is the first one. It's a very liberating moment for me. It's like, I'm going to be who I want to be. So here it is. And it was in honor of my dad. And uh, if, you, if you know the song you'll kind of understand that. So uh, number eight, a band that uh, some of you longtime Boneyard listeners have heard and you don't realize that, but it's the band called Emphatic. They are now a defunct band. Uh, they're based out of Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, Patrick, the singer, has a new band called Arson City. And then the guys from Emphatic, that move, they have a band called Through Fire now. So maybe you're familiar with both of those acts. They were one time together, but they had one incredible album called damage and uh when i ran regularly this is this was my running album i would put this on uh just because i number one it kind of kept me going and kind of kept me distracted from what i was doing but also two i could kind of measure out where i was and i could you know, go ahead and knock out my three miles and be done with it but um we used to have the outro on this show a song called pride that's just absolutely phenomenal i love that song even to this day i listen to it sometimes i get um uh, I get chills, but uh, I like every song on that album. Uh, Do Eyes, what op- that was on a CSI episode one time. It's incredible. Uh, Bounce is great. The palm muting on the guitar is phenomenal there. So there you go, Emphatic. Maybe not a band you're familiar with. I absolutely love that album. Number seven, and I listen to this a lot late at night. Like if I'm driving back, if I'm, I'm on my way back from College Station or from Gainesville, and uh, it's late or it's early, depending on your vantage point. I always kind of gravitate to Ozzy. Number one, because it's it's loud. Number two, I know the lyrics. I can sing along to everything. And uh, I love the Jackie Lee years. So I, for me, number seven, Ozzy, I go with the Ultimate Sin album. And you can say, but Steve, there's Blizzard of Oz. Yes, there is. And there's Diary of a Madman. And there's Bark at the Moon that many of you think Randy Rhodes wrote. He didn't. Jackie Lee wrote that. No, all due respect to Randy, the legend. 
but I go with Ultimate Sin. I love that album with one exception. There's one song on there that gets on my nerves. The song uh, "Thank God for the Bomb." I think that is I think that is an absolute joke of a song. It should never have made it. Uh, I love this album. Uh, Killer of Giants is a song that means an awful lot to me. But uh, when I'm out there rocking out, Lightning Strikes, that's one of those that really gets me going. And uh, Ultimate Sin, the, the self-titled track, the uh, you know Shot in the Dark, there's so many great ones on here. I don't know that this album gets enough acclaim for how good it is. Number six, a band we've talked about on the show before. My buddy Sam Denton will appreciate this one. Uh, it's Rat. It's Sam's favorite band, Rat. And what's ironic is I did a top 10 Rat list, and then Sam missed the show. This was like years ago. So we'll, we'll probably revisit Rat at some point. But uh, one of my favorite albums, and I know everybody says, well, he's going to go with Out of the Cellar. He's going to go with Invasion of Your Privacy. You're wrong. I love both of those albums, and I think they stand alone. I think those in mid-'80s metal, those albums, in hindsight, probably don't get the credit for how great they were. You know, uh, Warren Martini was just doing some things that was absolutely phenomenal on the guitar. Stephen Piercy, I, to this day, I, I considered the, the coolest voice in rock at the time. But I don't know that Rat, I don't know that history has smiled on Rat, maybe the way that it has on, on Motley and Guns and, and people like that. Maybe because, you know, Motley and Guns are kind of, keeping it together in better respects than Rat has. But I went with the Reach for the Sky album. I love every song on this album from start to finish. And I think Bo Hill did a great job producing the album. I think the band is tight. I think they're as good as they've ever been. And uh, Way Cold Jr., a song about Elvis Presley. You guys may have not have known that, but you know the song. Way Cold Jr.'s phenomenal. I actually have a Way Cold Jr. tattoo, believe it or not. Uh, number five, you knew Chris Cornell would make an appearance at some point. It's going to be Soundgarden. I could have easily gone uh, with the Super Unknown album. Down on the upside, I didn't. I went with the one that really got me into Soundgarden. That's the Bad Motorfinger album, which I think is an iconic album in the 90s. Even to this day, that album holds up. A lot of people would say, you know what, Ace Steve, there's this, there's that. Uh, some of my favorite songs on that album were not singles. Like, I love uh, A Room uh, 2000 Years Wide and, and Holy Waters, Rest in Me is phenomenal. But I went with the Jesus Christ pose. And, I, and one of the reasons I love this one is just musically, you know, from start to finish, everything about the it's just so unpredictable. I, I love it. I never know where it's going to go with the next change. And uh, the composition of this song is just incredible. I think it's one of Chris Cornell's uh, best vocal performances. Number four, what's interesting, too, is this band's A&R rep has the same name as me, Steve Robertson. We're talking about the band Shinedown. And I have had multiple people find me on social media. They have read the Shinedown album liner notes, and they see Steve Robertson's name in there. And I have people that have messaged me, mistaking me for him. Hey, I know you helped Shinedown. Maybe you could help us too. <laughs> Guys, I wish I could. But uh, no, I have met the guys in Shinedown. And uh, one of my favorite modern bands, one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, the new stuff, I've heard a couple of singles off a new album, ready to hear more. The band has changed a lot since Jason Todd's not in the band. Zach Myers, of course, former bass player and a rhythm guitar player, not a lead guitar player. And uh, Eric Bass doing a great job over there. It's The band is in transition in many respects. To me, the best Shinedown album is The Sound of Madness. Not to say I don't like the others. Threat to Survival I thought was great. Uh, Attention to Tension I thought was really good too. I thought Tension to Tension is probably the best album since Sound of Madness. 
but I went with Sound of Madness for the uh, Shinedown album here, number four on the list. But I would go probably with Breaking Inside here. That's a song I don't know. That, that, that song should have been a big hit. I don't know why it wasn't released as a single. But Breaking Inside is phenomenal. Number three, I'm not a big concept album prog rock type guy. I'm not. I'm not. And the closest thing we had to that in the 80s and the early 90s was Queensryche. And uh, I love Queensryche. I love Michael Wilton. I love uh, Chris DeGarmo, Randy Jackson, the whole crew. Not the Randy Jackson from American Idol. There's another bass player named Randy Jackson. It's incredible. Uh, Scott Rockenfeld was great. Jeff Tate. I haven't seen the new version of Queensryche. But I can tell you this. We gathered one day in Jackson, Mississippi. And you can't do that anymore, unfortunately. You, you, can't, you can't go to Jackson, Mississippi and have big events anymore because people don't know how to act. And it's unfortunate. We gathered in Jackson, Mississippi one day, me and many of you. And we went to the fairgrounds and we went to the Coliseum and we saw suicidal tendencies open for Queensryche. It was the Queensryche Operation Mind Crime Empire Tour. And we saw Queensryche absolutely destroy the place. To this day, best show I've ever seen in my life was that show in Jackson, Mississippi. Many of you were there. It was revolutionary what they did. At times, Jeff Tate would be running around on stage. Next thing you know, he runs off stage and he like dives through something. The next thing you know, he's up in the video boards that were. But it was it was phenomenal. How they pulled that off back in those days without the use of the computers we have today is remarkable. You can find that on YouTube if, if like you say, see, I've heard you say this before. You can go watch it. There's video Minecraft out there. You can go watch the show in its entirety on YouTube, which is incredible. So Operation Minecraft is the um, is the album we're going to go with here. I could go with a number of songs on this album. That to me, I, I love the storyline. I love the mystery, the darkness behind it. Um, but yeah, I, I could go with a million songs here. But I'm going to go with one that, that is really to me the triumphant song on this album. And, and, and it really wasn't a single. I like some people used it like for some uh, advertising type stuff. But it's a song, Speak. Speak from Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime album. And, and there were some huge hits on there. I Don't Believe in Love, Eyes of a Stranger is great. I, I was kind of on the fence about Queensryche. You know, we saw him with Rat, but I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't really sure about the operatic thing, that which became a thing in rock music for a while. But when I saw Eyes of a Stranger, I was just pulled in. I saw the video. I was like, ah, maybe I need to get these guys into the link. And I went back and... Um, Went back and bought the Rage for Order album, loved it. Went back and got The Warning, loved it. Went back and got uh, Queen of the Reich, loved it. And so it just took me a while. I was a little late to the party, but I can't begin to imagine my life without this Operation Mindcrime album. If you are out on the road and you said, you know what, I just need to kill an hour and a half here and listen to some great tunes and maybe something I'm unfamiliar with, listen to the Operation Mindcrime album. From start to finish. Again, there's some dialogue in it. It's a concept album. It is a story I think you'd enjoy. All right, number two. And again, all these songs are very personal to me. And so this is one, maybe a story I've never shared with you guys before. I have a lot of people that ask me, so Steve, where did your son Ani get his name? Is it some type of family thing? No, it's not. It's not a family thing. So many of you guys know that I was uh, in the depths of addiction back in 1991. And uh, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. 
And it's like looking back at that, it's like I remember how I was just so ready to give up. You know, it's just I just didn't care anymore. I had gone through this horrible breakup. And uh, there's some other things in relation to that I don't really want to share publicly because I don't want to injure anybody else. But it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And uh, just felt like, you know, I, I had invested so much in this relationship. That a lot of people had told me that I shouldn't be in. And so I lost a lot of friends, lost a lot of support, uh, lost a lot of my heart. And um, that was it. And so I tried to kill myself over that. And uh, maybe that's news to many of you. But, uh, you know, I was 19 years old. I was a drug addict. And uh, I had taken some pills out of somebody else's medicine cabinet. I took them all at once and um, ended up vomiting all over my bathroom. And that's a very miserable feeling, too. You know, you're a failed suicide attempt that uh, then you got to go clean up, right? Um, but in the middle of all this, I was listening to the CD that's number two on the list. And maybe you guys are unfamiliar with this. A band called Lynch Mob. It's a spinoff project. George Lynch from Dokken had a band called Lynch Mob. They don't perform anymore because of all the negative connotations of the, of the name, even though it is his name. They don't do it. Um, but the album Wicked Sensation was an album that I absolutely love. To this day, I, I still listen to it. But there's a song on there that I still have the CD. Just so you guys know, the same CD that I had uh, when I had the failed suicide attempt. And there's probably some old Miss people out there that wish I'd have been successful. But, uh, but nevertheless, the CD began to skip. And it, it never skipped before. It had never skipped afterwards. I, I'm, I, don't have, I don't buy CDs anymore. Very rarely. Like first, like there's, I just recently bought a, a Lillian Axe CD, uh, Psalms for Eternity. I'm waiting for that to come in. Uh, but I only buy things now to collect them, you know, but I listen to music on my Apple Music. But um, but nevertheless, I always took good care of my CDs. And I was very, 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 very cautious about that. I don't want people to borrow CDs. If you wanted to hear something, I'm going to put it in. I was just really, you know, kind of OCD about it. But um, the CD began to skip and it hadn't skipped since then. But it skipped on this song called this is your number two song, No Better Roses. And um it's a rocking song. It's great. It wasn't a single. It means an awful lot to me. And it skipped on the part where over and over again it said, never said it'd be a bed of roses. And I felt like that, that was kind of like my higher power reaching out from the cosmos to tell me that I had to make some changes in life. I had to get ready. And I'd like to sit here and tell you that I had this spiritual epiphany at that moment. And then all of a sudden I saw the light and things were great. And, you know, the angels opened up in the heavens and, you know, everything was wonderful. It wasn't. I still had some dark days ahead, but I kind of held on to that moment. And so after I got clean and sober, uh, I met a girl that was um, nice enough to let me name her first Melbourne child after the guy that wrote that song. And so the lead singer of the band Lynch Mob is a guy named Oni Logan. And uh, I just preferred the Oni pronunciation better and uh, actually tracked him down through the glory of the Internet years ago. Wrote a letter. His wife responded. They sent uh, Ani a signed picture and sent me a CD of some things they were working on. And uh, it was the day that Ani was getting his black belt. How crazy is that? And, um, and so we had the picture. We still have it. And uh, so there's a connection. I've been able to share my story with him about the song and about life. But that was one of those changing moments in my life. And so I named Ani after that moment. The moment that I knew that I wanted to live. That I had something left to live for. And fortunately, you know... Uh, I have lived long enough, you know, to uh, to father these four wonderful kids that have done some amazing things in their life. And so I, sometimes I go back and I listen to that song. I just revel at how far that I've come. And so if you're a person that's struggling today, know that it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah, Because I, I can promise you, nobody has given me anything, nothing. 
other than opportunity. And there, and there were a few people that were willing to do that. But I wanted better for myself, so I worked harder to have something for myself. I mean, I, I don't have a college degree. I hope to go back and finish when all my children are finished. That, that's the priority is to get them done, not me. Uh, but I do hope to go back, but that's one of the biggest regrets of my life. But uh, I've had to work a whole lot harder than I think a lot of other people have uh, just because of the fact that, you know, number one, I'm a convicted felon, but number two, I didn't get a college degree, and so I had a lot of strikes against me. And so whenever I'm feeling a little bit down or feeling sorry for myself a little bit, I'll, I'll put this album on and I'll enjoy it. And I always when I get to this song, I don't always sing it, though. I just kind of let it speak to me again because it was one of those moments in my life that it's difficult to explain even now one day I'll write all this stuff down but it is just difficult to explain you know what happened in that moment and what a life-changing event it was for me I felt like that, there, that I was a, in, in many respects that God was kind of speaking to me it's like this is it this is the bottom you've got to, you've got to figure it out from here uh number one I listen to Motley a lot. I do. And you're probably thinking it's going to be a Motley Crue album. It is. I could have gone Shout at the Devil. I could have. But I actually think that some of the songs are better. The Shout at the Devil was probably my favorite album. It has my favorite songs on it. But from start to finish, I don't know that it's my favorite album. When Motley came out with Dr. Feelgood, it was such a triumphant return in many respects. You know, Girls, Girls, Girls had been out. But, you know, when uh, we nearly lost Vince and Nikki in between that album cycle between Theater of Pain and Girls, Girls, Girls. We did. They came back, and they were still kind of you know, working through some things. But when Motley came back, they were sober, and uh, they were committed to the band and to the fans. And uh, in many respects, it is their most polished album. And there's just something about that opening riff of Dr. Feelgood to this day that makes me want to move. I just, I, it, it, I respond to the song. You put it on. You know, they have TNT in Tinseltown. There's the intro, and there's like, oh, you know, 17-year-old male, possible OD, patient's not breathing at this time. And then it goes into Dr. Feelgood, and, of course, the song's about a drug dealer. But um, nevertheless, that album, I think, is great. There's so many good things on there. You may not know this, but like uh, Brian Adams and then Steven Tyler, they sing back up on this album. There's a lot of people involved with this album that were involved in the recovery and rock community that were very supportive of Motley Crue. I think it is, in many respects, start to finish their best album. There are some songs that didn't really stand up to this day. Uh, Dr. Feelgood is one of those that has. I think it is one of the greatest songs in the catalog. So there you go, Jason. Hope you enjoyed the list. Ten years, Alter Bridge, Emphatic, Ozzy, Rat, Soundgarden, Shinedown, Queensryche, Lynch Mob, and Motley Crue. And you probably never thought in a million years it'd be a couple of bands you've never really listened to in the top three. But there you go. That's Top Ten List for today. Thanks for your support of the Top Ten List. If you have ideas for Top Ten, reach out to Roy at Dogmatic67 on Twitter or hit me up in the DMs and I'll pass it along to Roy and we'll put it on the list and we'll get back to you. Looking forward to, uh, to having a new artist on Wednesday and we're going to do country again on Friday. I'll, I'll kind of let you know. We had some good response to Toby Keith and so we're going to get back to that on Friday. Our country list don't do as well as our rock list and our R&B list really don't do well at all and I'm still going to do them when I feel like it. But uh, you guys like to rock. And sometimes, you know, we have some legendary country stuff that does really well. So I'm eager to see where Toby Keith ends up settling. But we did have a good response uh, on Friday. And so I do have a, a country music correspondent that I, I depend on. I kind of lean on to help get these country uh, lists together. The Waylon Jennings one was mine, though, just so you guys know. That one's 100% mine. All right, let's move on to the next part of the show. 
This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Book Mart, a Stark villain institution. Be sure and check them out. If you're unfamiliar with Campus Book Mart, you, are, you owe it to yourself to go by and see their great selection of Mississippi State merchandise. Wonderful people doing a wonderful job for a wonderful fan base. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Barnyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, BSR. That stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. And uh, it's getting warm now, too, so you probably need to upgrade your Mississippi State uh, wardrobe. Before you know it, it'll be football season. You'll be glad you have some fresh Mississippi State merch from campusbookmart.net. All right, we don't want to talk about it, but we're going to. Awful, awful, awful games two. Uh, game three was a good game. Didn't go our way, but uh, Saturday's game, one of the lower points of the Chris Lamontis era, to say the least. We absolutely did not pitch or play well in this ball game. Offensively, we actually did some decent things. Eight runs on 11 hits. You'd think that'd be enough, but, uh, you know, winds blowing out to right field, they really hurt us with that. But, uh, you know, we get out to a good start. Jaeger with an infield single. And then Hancock singles, and now you got runners at first and second. You think, okay, we got to get some runs here. They walk LT, a good at bat here, too. He gets down one, two in the count, works it for a walk. Now base is loaded, nobody out. Hunter Hines in a quality at bat, but we get nothing out of it. He strikes out swinging. Compass with an infield fly to first base. And right here we're thinking nothing's going to go good for us here. We load the bases and not get anything out of it. They hit Kellum Clark on a one-two pitch. And the guy gets down again, one, two, fouls one off. They plunk him. The run comes in. And then Cam James comes in, hits the ball right back up the middle. Really, really well played, well struck and well played. The fact that uh, Josh Day, maybe it wasn't Josh Day, maybe it was DeSatis that made the stop here, saved another run. We score one to make it 2 nothing, And then Jess Davis grounds out the short on the next pitch. So, could have been a much bigger inning there. Probably should have been a bigger inning there. I mean, you think about that. Base is loaded, nobody out. We get two, which in many respects is kind of the bare minimum. You expect to at least get a couple there. We get a couple. They go right back, and again, Preston was not sharp. I love Preston Johnson to death. This was not his better outing, and uh, he'd had some really good outings. And, of course, he had the first inning trouble against Ole Miss last weekend, but he settled down after that and gave us a chance to win. That didn't happen today. On, on this Saturday game. Uh, we walk man on five pitches. So we get a K there, and then we hit a guy. So now you've got two men on and one out, and then we hit another guy to load the bases. He'll give up a grand slam. It's a wind-aided grand slam. We left that ball up, and we paid for it. On a normal day, it's probably a sack fly, but on this day, it's a grand slam. Then we walk Lovich. We get a strikeout swinging at Wolfsmeyer and Coletta strikeout swinging. But it's 4-2, and you're thinking, you know what, there's going to be a lot of runs scored today. We'll get back in the ballgame. Lane Forsyth gets the offense going there in top of second. Nearly hits it out of the ballpark, thanks to the win, but he does get a triple. The uh, right fielder burned on the play. He comes around, and then Jaeger hits the ball hard, but right at the pitcher. And Spencer Miles fills his position, looks the runner back, retires him at first. Hancock, good situational hitting here. We fly out to left. It is an RBI sack fly, makes it a 4-3 ball game, and then LT grounds out to short. But now you're thinking, hey, it's okay. It's okay. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. Bottom of second, 
We get DeSantis to strike out swinging. Man hits a home run. Now it's a 5-3 ball game. Austin doubles to left. Day singles to left. Montgomery strikes out swinging. We got a chance to get out of this thing, uh, and we do, but it's a, a 6-3 ball game. And you're still thinking, you know, we're okay. We got At some point, we got to put up a zero here, and we'll get caught up. Top of third, Hines grounds out the second, Cummins grounds out the short, and then Kellum Clark with a triple, and we can't get the run in. Cam James grounds out the second, 6-3. So, again, traffic on the bases for the Bulldogs in all three innings, and we score the first two, not in the third. We come back in the bottom of third, and Spencer serves up a home run. Lovich homers to right field. Very first pitch makes it 7-3. We get a case swinging of Wellsmeyer. Coletta grounds out. Uh, th- this is the interference call. This is the interference call here. Yeah, because Wilsmeyer actually reached first base. So we struck him out, but the, the, the pitches arrive there. And so he goes, and then Coletta is called for interference. It's a hit and run there. Runner goes, and uh, Loop th- tries to throw through there. And you have to throw through in order for there for to be interference. And then we get to say this to case swinging, the man strikeout swinging. It's 7-3, and you're still thinking, you know, we got a shot here. Well, top of four, we improve our chances. Davis pops up to short. Forsyth is then hit by the pitch. And Lane was on base a lot this weekend. Jaeger flies out to right. Then Hancock walks. Now you've got runners at first and second, but with two outs, you need the big clutch hit here. LT comes through with a single to right field. Forsyth scores to make it 7-4. And then Hines with an infield single pushes in another run. Makes it 7-5. Cumbuston strikes out swinging. So, again, they're trying to run away, but we're able to make up a little ground here. Still just down two runs, bottom of four. And you're thinking, okay, Let's go post a zero. Lead-off double. Then Day flies out, runner tags, and goes to third. Montgomery then singles to center field, pushes to run home, makes it 8-5. Loom grounds out the second, runner takes second. Then the next thing you know, Lovitch will double the right field, and a run scores 9-5. So the ground we make up in the third, we give it right back in the fourth. Our chance to answer in the fifth. At this point, Miles has kind of calmed down a little bit. It's a 1-2-3 inning for State. Clark flies out to right. Jams grounds out to short. And then Davis grounds out to the first baseman unassisted. 9-5. Even with all that, we're still in the ballgame. We bring in Cam Tuller. Coletta strikes out looking. Lengthy at bat there. Cam wins the battle. DeSantis singles to the left side. Man is then hit by the pitch. Austin walks. So, you know, we go from a situation here you know, with nobody on and one out to the bases being loaded. We walk in a run. And then we get a double play ball to get out of it. And this was really kind of a harbinger of things to come. It really was. This is the, um, this is the chance really here for us to kind of make a difference in this ball game, and we don't. Top of six, though, we do get one of the runs back. They do, we get miles out of the ball game. They bring in Morozas, who was a normal Sunday guy. Forsyth grounds out to third, then Jaeger homers to center field, makes it 10-6. Hancock uh, pops out to short left, shortstop runs it down, and then Logan Tanner strikes out looking. So it's 10-6. And we still, you know what, we got, we got tw- nine more outs to work with. We just got to start getting some zeros up here. Well, we absolutely did not. We absolutely did not. Uh, one of the worst pitching performances of the season by anybody, and it was combined with two guys here. And um, this is one of those innings you look back and you say, you know what, this may be the difference in us making the tournament not. This one half inning right here. Loom is hit by the pitch. We give up a home run. Now it's 12-6. Uh, Wilsmeyer singles off the pitcher. Then Collada singles. And DeSata singles. And Mann's hit by the pitch. Then we go good Kim Tuller. Uh, and, and listen, I'm never going to be a guy that's going to be overly critical of our players. We saw him do a good job on Tuesday against Ole Miss. And it looks like that's kind of fool's gold. I mean, just an absolutely awful appearance here. 
Cam leaves with a 13-6 deficit. We bring in Mikey Tepper. He gets a fly out to center field. Thankfully, it wasn't a grand slam. Um, but they tag and score. It's 14-6. Then there's another single. Another run scores. Then a double to right center. Another run scores. Now 16-6. Then we walk loom. Then uh, we get Lovitch to strike out swinging. Then Wills Myers walk. We walk in another run there. It's 17-6. We bring in Cole Cheatham. A freshman who hadn't pitched a whole lot, he actually did a good job against Missouri. And if there is a highlight from this game, it's maybe the fact that Cole Cheatham is showing us he can get some guys out. He does give up a single to right field, drives in two runs, making 19-6, but he gets the Sadis to strike out looking. Uh, that was not a mess of his making. I thought the kid went out there and did a good job throwing strikes. And that's the thing that I go back and I look at this ball game. The only guy that went out there and consistently pounded the zone was Cole Cheatham, the only one. Uh Preston struggled with free passes. Tuller certainly did. Tepper did. And I'll be honest with you. Listen, I, I get it. I've never pitched this level. I, I haven't. But I don't understand how, why is it so difficult to throw strikes when you have to. Why is it so difficult? It's a mental aspect. It's, it's, it's not about talent. It's about mental toughness. Especially in a ballgame like this when the game is already virtually decided. Like, you know, when, when you, you – know, it's – you know, eight, nine, ten run lead, just go in there and pound the zone. If they hit it out, they hit it out, but don't walk anybody. But Cole Cheatham, again, and I understand it wasn't a high-stress inning. The game has already been decided, but I thought Cole Cheatham showed some promise there. And really the only positive I think you can take from this game from a pitching standpoint is Cole Cheatham. Uh, I thought we showed a little quit in us here too. Uh, and, again, it's 19-6. I mean, I'm a realist. Uh, Hines strikes out swinging. Cumbus walks. And then Clark flies out to left. James Fouls out to the first baseman. We get to the bottom of seven. Make some changes here. Bring in Slade Alford. Uh, Cam goes to center. Davis is out of the ball game. And Cole Cheatham posts a one, two, three inning. A K swinging on a beautiful breaking ball. We get a ground out back to the pitcher and then a ground out to short. So a zero courtesy of Cole Cheatham. Top of eight. Uh, Alford flies out to center and then Lane with a infield single. Then Jaeger strikes out swinging. Forsyth goes to second. It's defensive indifference here. And then Hancock grounds out for second baseman. It's 19-6, mid-eighth. Bottom of eight, Montgomery singles to third base. Just kind of one of those things that happens. It ends up being an infield uh, single. Not exactly hit that well. Just uh, a guy running down the line there doing a good job. And then, again, Sheetham does a good job here. We get Rice to strike out looking on another beautiful breaking ball. Lovich on a fielder's choice. We force the runner at second. And then Wilsmar strikes out looking. So, again, you know, back-to-back good innings from Cole Cheatham. Top of nine, we pinch hit liberally here. And then good, I'm, I'm glad to see these guys come in off the bench and be able to make a, a contribution here. Aaron Downs hits a leg laser to DeSantis, and he can't field it. Uh, they do charge him with an error, which was the right call. We bring in Drew McGowan, uh, rolls to first, Downs goes to second. Then quarter doubles to right center. The run scores. It's 19-7. Leggett walks as a pinch hitter, and then Siebert singles to right field. And quarter scores, makes it 19-8. to eight. And then Forsyth uh, grounds out the short. Well, Alford, I guess, flew out the right, too. But uh, you get the point here. And then that's the ballgame. Uh, and so, again, awful, 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 awful performance on the mound with the exception of Cole Cheatham. And, and let's, uh, let's highlight Cole a little bit here. Again, we haven't seen him a whole lot. He's a freshman uh, out of Alabama we have high hopes for. May see him more down the stretch which would only make him better. But Preston goes four innings, eight hits, nine runs, 10 Ks, two walks, 
two hit by pitches, a wild pitch, 81. Just awful, an awful performance. Cam Tuller uh, nearly, nearly uh, matches Preston's run total in just one inning pitched. Five hits, seven runs, two walks, a strikeout, three hit by pitches. And listen, we talked about hit by pitches when we previewed Missouri. They're a team that's going to go up there and crowd the play. They're going to lean in a little bit. If you don't think that's coach, you're kidding yourselves. And, and we have five of them in the ballgame. And I believe all of them scored. Mikey Tepper goes two-thirds of an inning, two hits, three runs, a couple walks, strikeout, 28 innings, 28 pitches thrown. Uh, Cole Cheatham has 37 pitches thrown on the day. I'd love to know the strike-to-walk, strike-to-ball ratio here. I thought he was around his own. And, again, you're just telling the kid, let's go out here and see what you can do. Two and a third innings pitch, just two hits, one of those an infield single. Uh, and then four strikeouts, no walks, no hit by pitches. Uh, I can work with that. Absolutely, you cannot, you cannot go out there and walk and hit hit people. Six walks in the ball game, five hit by pitches. It's eleven free passes. It's a difference in the ball game. I mean, look on the other side of things. You know, they they hit us twice. Uh, Spencer Price, Spencer Miles did early on, and we had uh, the four walks. We had him on the ropes earlier, but Miles wiggles off, uh, goes five innings, seven hits, five runs. Uh, strikes out just two. And that's the thing, too. When you've got the wind blowing out and you've got a guy like Spencer Miles that has a uh, you know, good sink and he throws a sinker and he has that two-seamer that's got a little bite to it as well. And then they give Austin Morosis the save. And I agree with Jim Ellis. I don't understand how this is a save situation. It's not. That's probably something that should be corrected. But uh, nevertheless, we got our butts whipped. Simple as that. And, yeah, we can say, well, you know, if we do this, we do that. Guys, we played clean baseball. We gave away way too many free passes. I mean, look, they they had 17 hits. They beat us 19-8. We had 11. The difference in the ball game are all the free passes. And you, you got to be competitive on the plate. I mean, that's, that is the thing that just absolutely drives me bananas. And I get the injuries. I'm not in any way trying to discount the injuries. But this is Mississippi State. Okay, this isn't Pearl River Community College. This is Mississippi State. You wear the M over S on your hat, you're expected to go out there and do what's expected of you. And so, and I, I'm going to say this, and it may hurt some feelings, and I'm sure that I'll get some calls and texts about it. Steve, how could you say this? You know, one of the problems that we have right now, and some of this is still kind of a, a product of COVID. You know, back in 2020, we had to take some guys we never saw in person. We got some kids here. We got some kids wearing a Mississippi State uniform that aren't good enough to play at Mississippi State. Simple as that. We talk about, hey, we need to go work the portal hard. We need to work it on both sides. We got a couple guys out here, a few guys out here that probably need to get in the portal and go somewhere else. That's just the reality of life. And we got some other guys too. And I've, I'm, I hear already there's some guys that want to come here and play. So I think you're going to see traffic in the portal for baseball a good bit here in the weeks to come. And you know what? That's okay. It's not personal. I mean, it's not. It's not personal. You know, you're here to do a job. And if you're incapable of doing that job, then we've got to find somebody else that is. This is not the Boy Scouts. It's the Southeastern Conference. And we're Mississippi State baseball. We expect to compete at a national level every single year. And so, yeah, we can say, yeah, we've had the injuries. And there's no discounting that. It's 100% correct. But we've also got some guys, too, that just aren't simply getting the job done. Now, you got some young guys out there, and that's why I give a guy like Cole Cheatham a little, a little credit here. You know, he goes out there, and this is a lineup that's hitting everybody that we put out there. They couldn't hit him. And listen, I get the game is over and decided. But if you're Missouri and you're trying to make the tournament, you've got a good offensive day going, you're going to keep the train rolling if you can. 
And Cole Cheatham goes in there and does a good job. And then that's, to me, that is one of the only redeeming aspects of this game on Saturday. Because from a pitching standpoint, we did not compete. You get out 3 nothing in that ball game, and you end up getting outscored the rest of the way. Excuse me. 2 nothing in that ball game, and you get outscored the rest of the way, the way we did. It's a joke. Hi, right, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, let's take a quick look at game three. That's the one, you know, 
we knew they'd probably get one. And that's the thing, too. When the lopsided scores on Friday and the lopsided excuse me, the lopsided score on Saturday, you knew everybody was going to have all their bullpen bullets in the gun left for Sunday. So you knew it would be a more competitive game, or it should be. We got the big lead on Friday. They didn't use any big bullpen arms. We got down on Saturday. We didn't use any big bullpen arms. We let some guys get some work, and the final score showed it. But uh, Sunday, a more competitive game. And, again, State gets off to a great start. I mean, a great start here. Jaeger flies out to center and Cam James home to center on a 2-0 count. Hancock then singles to right. Tanner flies out to left. And then Hunter Hines hits a home run that uh, they'll be talking about in Columbia, Missouri for a long, long time. I can't remember the numbers. I hung about 114 mile per hour. off to about 113, 114 miles per hour. Like 457 feet. Something ridiculous like that. Kid's going to be a freshman All-American. Combus walks. And then Clark walks. And we still got a chance to make this a bigger inning. We don't. Uh, quarter strikes out swinging. Lengthy at bat there, but we have nothing to show for it. But it's 3 nothing. And at this point, like you guys, I'm thinking, okay, all right. This is going to go a whole lot more like Friday than Saturday. Bottom of one, Cade Smith. I didn't think Cade had his best stuff. I did think Cade went out there and competed. And we probably stayed with him a hit or too long. But uh, felt like that we were in a better pitching situation than them. We give up a single to center, then we hit the guy, and it's like, here we go. We walk the next guy. Base is loaded, everybody out. It's like, what is going on? What, what is happening? You know, why are we getting out in the first inning here in back-to-back games and really struggling to attack a offensive lineup that is not really that offensive? They grind you out, but they're not a team – that you just, you know, strikes fear in your hearts with the exception of maybe Luke Mann up there. You, you feel like, you know, Josh Day's a good player too. My point being is this isn't a lineup. It's just strike fear in your heart, and we're struggling with our strikes. We get Montgomery to strike out swinging, which was huge. Tor Montgomery's a really good player. And we get Loom to ground into a double play, so we get out of the jam there. But, again, we're kind of dancing with the death right there. All right, top of second, they go ahead and make a pitching change. They pull Trosser and bring in Rustad, who was excellent. Give him credit. Lane singles back up the middle. And a good at bat here, too. I mean, this wasn't like it was just a first pitch swinging deal. He had to kind of work the count a little bit. Got down 0-2, works it full, and then uh, lines one back up the box. Jaeger flies out the center. Cam James in walks. Now we got runners at first and second, you know, with three and four coming up. And a little bit unlucky here. Hancock then singles to right field to load the bases, and you're thinking, okay, we're going to tack on right here. Logan Tanner hits an absolute blister on a rope towards the right field corner. The guy elevates, and then they double Hancock off the, off the bag. It's just one of those unfortunate things. Absolutely incredible. You know, at that point, you're thinking, oh, my gosh. You know, we let them wiggle off the hook, and then next thing you know, we're at, we're at bat, a chance. We, we got, excuse me. We wiggled off the hook, and then we have a chance here to get some separation in the ballgame. We don't. This is one of those very significant plays that doesn't show up in the box score at the end of the ballgame. If this thing is a foot left or right or high, it is at least a 5 nothing ball game at the end of two. At least. Bottom of second, Cade settles down. Really, really good inning here for him. Uh, Lovett strikes out swinging. Morris flies out to left. Wilsmar strikes out swinging. And I uh, thought he had a little more of his swagger back there. And you think, okay, here we go. We got a chance, again, a chance to go tack on. We don't. We open up Hines, singles to the right field, and again, Hunter Hines with a good weekend. Cumbus K's looking. Clark flies out to center, quarter grounds out to third. So we get the leadoff base runner, and we don't even move him. 
Not a productive stretch there. Bottom of third, and again, some of this is us, some of it's not. Uh, DeSantis grounds out to the pitcher on a bunt, and then Mann works the count, and then uh, we had a chance to finish him. I really thought we had a ball that was called against us that looked to be a strike. It's a borderline pitch, then he fouls one off, and he hits a home run. It's 3-1, you think, okay, we're okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. Then there's a walk to Austin, and then Day singles, and a good at bat there for him, and now all of a sudden you got runners at first and second. And then there's the ground ball hit to first. They charge him with an error here. This is really kind of a tough play. It's a, it's a, it's a low sinking line drive. And, again, you go back to the, you know, our double play. We have a chance to repeat it here. We get nothing out of it. Luke has the ball go off his glove, and then we decide to throw to, to second rather than just tossing to first. And I think a lot of it is he felt like that he had – maybe he had the play there. I don't know. But uh, just kind of, you know, a bad play. It's a hard hit ball. It's a tough play to make. You got to take the out at first here. Cade Smith is there to cover. We don't get the out there. And ultimately, it costs us. Loon then hits a fielder's choice. And uh, we take the, the out at first, but the run scores. And that's the thing, too, is if we make this play with Luke, and I'm not throwing shade at Luke. I mean, it's just the reality of the game. It, he'll tell you, you know, should have played it a little bit differently. The run doesn't score because the next guy strikes out swinging. You know, at this point here, Loom is grounding out to, for the final out of the, the inning. But instead, a run scores makes it 3-2. The game within the game, you know. I mean, it's like, hey, we may, they make a play, keeps us off the board. We don't make a play, allows them to score. Top of four, Forsyth flies out to right, one of the only times they got him out. Jaeger then with an infield single. James grounds out to short, serves as a bunt. We get Jaeger to second. And then Hancock strikes out swinging on three pitches. You don't see that happen very often. All right, bottom of four. Still a good ball game here. And then we, we open up by – we get down 3-0 in the count, work it full, and then we hit Morris with a pitch. Then Willsmeyer flies out to center. DeSantis lines out to second. That ball was blistered too. Man singles to left. They, um, they hold the runner. This ball nearly went to dugout. Uh, Kate Smith got to get on that top step there, but he does a good job kind of uh, keeping it. And, and listen, Lane's got to block this thing up too. But fortunately, fortunately, we don't um, we don't give up a run here. We get a ground out from Austin, the very next pitch to end the inning. 3-2. Top of five. LT doubles to right. Left, excuse me. Leadoff double, and you're thinking, okay, let's manufacture a run here. And everybody says, like I read the message boards and the, the Facebook groups, why didn't we bunt him a third? Guys, here's the thing. And as a guy that really loves the small game, you're not going to have Hunter Hines bunt. Really, in any situation. How many times do you think Hunter Hines has been asked to bunt in his life? I don't know, once, twice? Maybe when he was a kid? That guy has not a – he's not going to get the bunt down. That's not, that's not an indictment on his ability. It's just not in his, his skill set. Not to mention, you've got a double here. Let's play for the big inning. And Hines strikes out looking on three pitches. And then – because think about this. It ain't like Hines is your only op- opportunity here to get a big hit. you got Cumbus and Clark right behind him. And it ends up being a really quick inning because after the K, Cumbus flies out to left, and then Clark flies out to right on back-to-back pitches. Golden opportunity there for us to add to the lead, and we don't move him. You'd, think you'd, like, you'd like to be able to get a ground ball somewhere to move him because that's the thing. If Hines gets a productive out here and moves LT to third, he's going to score on the sack fly. We don't. 
bottom of five, and this is where things kind of got away from us. We were able to overcome this. But um, this, I am not one that questions a lot of coaching decisions. I'm going to question one that happened here. All right, bottom of five, day grounds out to short. Montgomery then walks. Liam singles to center field, and then the runner goes to third. Then there's a wild pitch. The run scores. Trail runner goes to second. Lovett singles to left. At this point, it is obvious to me that Cade Smith is really laboring because some of his misses were really, really big. Really, really big. And he got behind three consecutive hitters. Excuse me, four consecutive hitters. Couldn't get the first pitch strike. So I understand that there are two outs in the inning, but at this point, you got to go get Cade. Wills Myers, not a big home run guy. He had a very, very difficult weekend. And maybe that's what they were thinking. Let's just get through this and then we'll switch. But uh, instead, we pitch, and then Wilsmeyer hits the three-run bomb uh, to left center to put them up 6-3. to I would have pulled Cade Smith before this. I really thought I probably would have went and got him actually after Lovich. I don't know that I even let him pitch to Morris. And again, I, I don't have access to the same information that they have, but again – you get gifted the ground out the short, and then it's a walk, a single, a wild pitch, a single. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, here we go. It's like he had been really good, and I think if we've seen in recent weeks, once he gets above 85 pitches or so, you know, the command begins to go a little bit. And he's still a young guy. I mean, he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to pitch deep in the ball games for us. I questioned at the time. I, I questioned in hindsight. We make a mistake, and it's easy in the gift of hindsight to say, well, you know, should have got him a hitter earlier. That's true a lot of times. For everybody, uh, you know, the same could be said for, you know, for Diamond against uh, Hunter Hines a couple weekends ago, right? I mean, that's just – that's the reality. And usually that's what you see when guys give up the big tank, they get pulled. I just – I would have pulled him before now. Pico comes in and uh, gets the ground out to short to get out of the inning. But the damage is done. It's a 6-3 ball game. And, again, we go from having a 3-2 lead to a 6-3 deficit in that half inning. All right, top of six – we begin to kind of crawl our way back into this thing. Quarter grounds out to third and fourth side, singles to the left side, and get a good weekend for Lane. They bring in Cheeley, and uh, we had his number. If he pitches another half inning longer, or maybe even two-thirds of an inning longer, we, we probably win this ball game. Uh, big, strapping, hard-throwing right-hander. The second pitch he throws, R.J. Yeager hits a two-run tank to make it 6-5. Then Cam James singles hard to left field, and then Luke Hancock, unlucky, just hits a rocket back up the middle. And Day makes a great play on it. And they turn double play. And, uh, you know, just one of those crazy things that happens, a bit unlucky. It's the second double play of the game that we've actually tattooed a baseball and we're out of the inning. But, again, it's 6-5. And you're thinking, okay, we've overcome it. It's going to be a battle of bullpens. Uh, we've only got really one quality bullpen arm left. We should have a handful. Bottom of six, man flies out to right field, and good job by Pico. We hadn't been able to get him out very long, very often. Austin and singles to center, and Day pops up to first. Uh, we make a, a, a decision here to go to KC Hunt. I don't know that Pico did anything wrong. I don't know what we were thinking here, but perhaps it boils down to simply the splits. Maybe Montgomery was better against left-handers. Maybe it was something in the scouting report. They decided, hey, let's not take a chance with Tor Montgomery, who is a very talented player. But it works out for us. We bring in Hunt, and we get him to strike out swinging. I know some people were, like, being critical of the Pico thing. You know, KC is your guy, and KC's a guy that can work deep into the ballgame. And I think, too, KC kind of proved, kind of validated the decision. Uh, down the stretch, he pitched winning baseball. He didn't get any help from his offense, though. Uh, 
All right, top of seven. Uh, LT grounds out to third. Hines and doubles down the line and right. So, again, here we are. Go ahead, run in scoring position. Compass then, excuse me, that's a tying run. Then Compass doubles to left and Hines scores. It is now a 6-6 ball game. They pull Chile. Every single thing we hit against Chile was an absolute frozen rope. There's no question about it. Everything we did was good. And that's a guy we ought to be able to handle. You know, guy, big velo guy. Uh, they bring in Los, who is a very crafty left-hander. He's got a four-pitch mix. He gets Clark to ground out to second. Compass goes to third. And then he strikes out, slight offered looking. And, again, we get ahead in that count 2-0. And then from there, the inning is over. But we've tied it. KC back out. Very, very quick and efficient inning. Gets Loom to pop up to short. Lovich strikes out swinging. And the Morris grounds out to short. You're thinking, okay, we have now wrestled momentum away in this ballgame. We jump out, we give it back, we've taken it back, now let's go score. Forsyth strikes out looking, and uh, I, I thought the ball was low. Jaeger doubles to left field, so here we go. Go ahead, run in scoring position with Cam James and Hancock coming up, and we strike out. Back-to-back Ks, non-productive outs. That's what gets you beat late in ball games. you got to be good situational hitters, and it wasn't just you know those two guys. We had opportunities later. Uh, bottom of the eighth, the Seda strikes out swinging, man walks, and then, uh, excuse me, Wilsmeyer flies out to open it. Man, we walk him, and that wasn't the worst thing. It's like, you know what, hey, bottom of eight, I got a base open and two outs. I'm, I'm, I'm going to nibble with this guy because this guy's a stud. And then we get Austin to ground out to third. So, you know, walking man, not a big deal there. All right, top of nine, we got a chance here. Uh, LT flies out to right. Hunter Hines works for a walk here. So now the go-ahead run is on base with Cumbus and Clark up, and we strike out back-to-back. Again, situational hitting. And then bottom of the eighth, uh, KC gets ahead 0-2 in a count. Next thing you know, we, we, we start nibbling a little bit, trying to get him a chase, and then he hits a home run to right field. Ball game's over. Series over, and likely Mississippi State's postseason fate going with it. Very, very, very difficult weekend for us to have to suffer. I mean – it's one of those things you look at and you begin to think, you know what, these guys just simply have had our number. Beezer just has, a, for whatever reason, has found a way to kind of crack the Scott Foxhall code. we got to make some changes. And I don't mean on the coaching side. I mean, we as a team have got to figure some things out. So that's the, the weekend. As miserable it is. And as one thing that I kind of cautioned everybody about last week is the um, SEC record from Mizzou wasn't very good. But you look at the records, we're 25 and 20. They're 24 and 17. You know, they're a better team. But, they, you know, again, they're just not one of those teams you look at. You know, if you're Mississippi State, even if you're going on the road, you got to be able to, to put the last place team in the SEC away. You have to. You got to have some killer instinct. And we don't have it. We don't. And, uh, you know, that was the thing last year. You know, you knew when Landon Sims came in the ball game, the game was over. You knew if T.A. or Rowdy came up late in the ball game, the game was over because they were going to get the big hit. You, you knew those things. We just don't have it. We just do not have that quality within us at this point. I think Hunter Hines is a guy that will develop that. I think Kellum Clark is a guy that can do some things like that. Cumbus has, has shown from time to time that he can get the big hit late. But we are just not, as a team, playing with a lot of urgency when it's time to put teams away. We just struggle to do it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. And we're going to talk about kind of where things go from here in this segment of the show. Uh, listen, if you're looking to move to Starkville, I'd encourage you to do so. I love it here. I think you will too. It's not just a great place to you know, have recreation. It's not just a place to come to party. It's not just a good place to come hang out. 
it's a great place to live. I love living in Starkville. I'm here for the duration. Uh, Brooks's phone number is 601-416-8075. Brooks Bryan's my friend. He knows all about Starkville, too. Again, that's 601-416-8075. So Portico is this great residential community, uh, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You're, you're right there near the fun, but far enough away to have a little privacy and some peace. Very easy to get to. You turn off 82 on a 12. Very first ride is Pat Station Road. You pass that road so many times, you wondered where it goes. It goes to your new place, whether it be your primary residence, whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, perhaps your retirement home, maybe even investment property. Portico has a place for you. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home and everything in between. And at this point, with phase one completely complete and phase two now under construction, uh, you are a person that can have a say in perhaps picking your lot and your house plans. I'd encourage you uh, to reach out today to Brooks Bryan and all the fine folks at Portico. Make Portico your next move. All right, uh, so obviously a series loss, very detrimental to our standings in the SEC and in our place for a potential NCAA at-large bid, which that that, that is um, – hanging on by a thread so let's take a quick look at the weekend i won't spend a lot of time with this but tennessee tennessee wins the series with auburn a little bit contentious down there another bat throwing incident uh, georgia loses a series at lsu vanderbilt loses a series to a&m south carolina uh, takes a series from alabama florida takes a series from kentucky of course missouri takes it from us so look at the sec east tennessee 19 and 2 georgia 12 and 9 tennessee no doubt gonna win this thing vanderbilt now 10 and 11 uh, South Carolina, 9-12. and 12. That's the thing, too, with the Vanderbilt thing. We had a chance to pass those guys. Uh, South Carolina, 9-12. and 12. Florida, 8-13. and 13. Missouri and Kentucky now tied 7-14. and 14. And in the tiebreaker, Kentucky is a team that stays home. Missouri won that series against Kentucky, so they own the head-to-head tiebreaker. So Missouri, at this point, in the tournament. Kentucky, not in the tournament. Uh, Arkansas, 14-7. and seven, That big series win for them over Ole Miss. And, of course, we mentioned Auburn losing. Uh, they're 12-9. LSU, 12-9. And, and the Tigers starting to get better. A&M, 12-9. They're playing better, too. Alabama, 9-12. State now even with them. We hold the tiebreaker with them, which makes us the higher seed. So we're into Hoover Field. I guess we're number eight right now. Uh, Alabama would be nine. Ole Miss, 7-14. And, and if the math is correct, if the tournament started this week, they in Kentucky would be out. Now, Missouri – and Ole Miss will play head-to-head this week. So uh, that will be a big one. The loser of that likely not going to Hoover. Because Ole Miss got to go down and play LSU too. So still a lot left to play for. But, uh, again, Ole Miss now last in the West and last overall in the SEC. Uh, they're feeling a lot like we are. I mean, really the only thing we can look at and say, hey, we won the series, and that's really the difference in the standings, Right. They we're two games ahead of those guys in the standings. And uh, and make no mistake, if Mississippi State goes in the tank, we won't go to Hoover either. I mean, it's not like anybody is just, you know, dragging the bottom of the SEC standings. I mean, you know, we're ahead of – we're tied with South Carolina and Alabama, but we're ahead of Florida, we're ahead of Missouri, we're ahead of Kentucky, we're ahead of Ole Miss. And so you'd say, well, right now – we're comfortably in the Hoover field, but there's still nine SEC games to play, and three of ours are going to be against Tennessee. So that's how you know tenuous this, this thing is and how big that loss was yesterday. You win that game yesterday, now all of a sudden Mississippi State is 10-11. and 11. Now you're 10-11, and, and you're top half of the league. 
It's crazy you think about that. That's that's how tight this thing is. So, yeah, will we make Hoover? Yeah, I expect to. Will we make the NCAA tournament? No, I don't expect that. And that's unfortunate. It really is. It really, really is. Now, that's not to say that uh, it's you know, time to give up. You know, we've got a Florida team coming in here that uh, is basically kind of similarly situated with us. They're 25 and 18. We're 25 and 20. We're playing at our place. So should we win the series? Yeah, we should. We should win the series. But, you know, based on, you know, and I don't know if you can be too harsh on giving up home runs at that uh, hilltop ballpark at Columbia. I can be harsh on the walks and the hit by pitches, though. And that's the difference. You, can't, you know you're going to give up some jacks. You can't go out there and walk people and give those guys extra ribbies. And that's what we did. We did. But, again, nine games left to play and still a lot left to play for. But the chances of us getting an at-large bid right now are hurt unless we do something unexpected. Now, you go sweep Florida, much different situation. But at this point, what has this team shown? What has this Mississippi State team shown that makes you think they would be able to do that? We hadn't been able to do it all year. And so that's not to say it's out of the realm of possibility. I just don't know how probable that is. And then you've got to go to A&M, who has played much better down the stretch. You got to go over there, you know, and you start thinking, can you go win that series? Well, you can. And you've had some good success. State has played really well at College Station the last several years. But at this point, you know, do you expect that to happen? I think the only thing that people expect to happen there with any level of certainty is State's going to lose that final series to Tennessee. You scratch out a win there. And again, we get back to this whole thing. You got nine to play. You got to win at least five. You got to win at least five. And with our RPI, I mean, you start beginning to think now, if we, even if we win five, you probably got to win a couple of games in the SEC tournament. And so, we, we, yeah, is there a possibility of us making it? Yeah, there's a possibility. But if, based on the, the current play and based on the cycle of this season, what gives you any confidence to think that, hey, we're going to get really hot down the stretch? So the leadership for this team's got to step up or this team's not going to make the postseason. You might go to Hoover – and then we'll see what happens out there. I mean, but, you know, we don't have the pitching to go win at Hoover. We, we, we just don't. We don't. And plus, it's a bigger ballpark. You know, we're a team that's so reliant on a home run. You're not going to hit many home runs at Hoover. It's not going to happen. And you remember the debacle that happened last year. And then you'll never, you'll never convince me we didn't go over there just ready to go home. We didn't go over there looking to win that tournament. Nobody's ever confirmed that to me, but that's what I believe. I don't think we went over there and played hard. You know, I just – I think we felt really good about where we stood. We wanted to come back and get our pitching set for the weekend, and we did. But uh, the reality of it is, and a lot of people are like, I've read some things too, and I think it's important. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I don't like to tell people how to act. Uh, But there are a lot of people out there that are prisoners of the moment. I have people that say, hey, should we make some coaching changes? No. No, no, we shouldn't make coaching changes. But, Steve, guys, this is the fourth year under Crystal Monas. The previous three, we've gone to Omaha. So we have one mediocre year, a year that we've been hit hard with injuries, and we want to shake up the coaching staff? No, nah, that's, that, that's just that, – I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be blunt with you. That's just stupid. That's absolutely stupid to suggest that. You can't be a prisoner at the moment. And listen, I get it. You know, when a guy goes up there and looks unprepared and bad, I think – sometimes I even think to myself, you know, you know Jake's got to have these guys ready to go. You know, I don't know what Jake's communicated to them. He might have given them the perfect game plan. They didn't go up there and execute. But I do know this. I know that Jake Gotro didn't forget hitting. Jake Gotro has been a star ever since he's been here. Jake Gotro is an elite recruiter. 
Uh, you know, people say, well, you know, Foxhall, you know, his guys are doing this. Well, you know, when you lose three guys, three of your top guys, your top starter and your two, your top two uh, bullpen guys, then all of a sudden you're having to pitch guys in situations you ordinarily wouldn't have. And that's the thing, too. And, I, and I'm, again, I'm not going to mention any names because anybody think I'm being overly critical of one or two players. But, you know, there's a reason some of these guys weren't in the mix and expected to pitch big innings that are having to pitch big innings. It's because we've had some injuries. And so Scott Foxhall didn't forget how to coach pitching. It's just you've got some guys now that weren't ready for the moments they're having to pitch in. You can say, well, his job to get them ready. Yeah, well, there's a reason they were behind Landon Sims. And you see Casey Hunt. Look at the development of Casey Hunt. Now, this is a guy a couple of years ago. I said, this guy may never throw a meaningful inning for us. He ends up being the best pitcher of the fall. And, of course, Landon Sims didn't pitch in the fall, and then he gets injured. And so, like, you, you, we, we can't – I'm not making excuses for these guys, but the reality of it is it is ridiculous to just ignore that and say, well, everybody should be able to go up and perform at the same level of a Landon Sims or a Stone Simmons. And just, it just doesn't happen that way. That's why there's a pecking order. And so I'm not ready to give up on the season, but I'll be honest with you, the, uh, the, the prospects of us getting an at-large bid for an NCAA tournament bid – as of the day, basically non-existent. Now, that could change. Still got three weekends left to play. You know, we have no midweek game this week. We're in finals. So, we're going to have a chance to kind of let this uh, sting for a little while. And then we'll have Florida come in here. You have to win the series. And at this point, you start thinking, you know what? We got to sweep Florida. The goal shouldn't be just to win the series. And that's one thing. So, you know, John Cohen and I talked about this years ago. It's not about how many series you win. It's about how many games you win, right? Because every one of those games count the same. So, like, you go out there and you sweep somebody, well, that's three. You can't just say, well, at least we won the series. That game counts. That game three still counts. The, The loss to Tennessee counts the same as the loss to Missouri in the standings. Stings a little bit more in the RPI. But the reality of it is, is that every game matters. And I think there, at times, you know, we've had some teams and some players that maybe we get a couple of wins early and we don't finish on Sunday. Now, I understand managing pitching over the weekend is very difficult, like we talked about with, with Missouri. They're not going to throw a big bullpen arm in a game that they're down 13-3. to Not going to do it. And it'd be idiotic to do that. Stupid. And listen, I get it. When we're getting our craniums kicked in on Saturday, everybody's like, let's go, let's throw Casey Hunt. No, no. That game is already lost. And so basically we had a chance to win Sunday's game on Saturday by how we managed our bullpen. And as bad as it got and as lopsided as it got, we went into Sunday. We still had Pico. We still had Casey. We still had Fristo. You know, we still had some bullets in the gun. So, from a management standpoint, pitching-wise, yeah, we managed it well. I just think we let Cade hang around a hitter too long. You know, and then a guy runs into one against KC. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I, don't, I don't fault all the pitching decisions yesterday. I thought we managed the pitching well. How many times did we have the lead or the go-ahead run or the tying run come up in a scoring position with less than two outs and we couldn't get the hit? That's the bigger issue to me. You know, at some point, a guy's going to run into one, especially with that wind blowing out. you got to run into one, too. So this is where we stand. It is a, you know, we went from last week feeling really good. 
if we can just go win the series at Mizzou, we would feel, again, we just kind of stay in the conversation. If we go get a sweep, all of a sudden life gets a whole lot easier. Now we go drop a series, and now we're chasing the season. Now, I know we have some guys on this team that are gutty and gritty, no doubt about it. They're going to fight to the bitter end. I know this, whether some of the fans do or not. But the reality of it is, is we are no longer in any place where we can just kind of let this thing go. Now, could we get some craziness thing happen and, you know, we take a game, maybe two from Tennessee? Yeah. I'm not expecting that. Nobody else should either. We got to make our hay the next two weekends. We can't go into Tennessee expecting anything. Got to find a way to go get it done. Simple as that. And it's, well, the way things stand today, if memory serves me correct, uh, we would play uh, Alabama first game in Hoover. I think that's correct. And, of course, that changes week to week, right? We got to find a way to go win the series against Florida. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the week. And so look forward to uh, being with you guys back on Wednesday. I want to thank everybody that came out to the Lorelei book signing uh, on Saturday. I missed the Columbia, Missouri trip for the, because I needed to do that. And um, so this Friday, I'm going to be in Yazoo City. Going to miss the Friday game. I hate that, but that's the reality of the life I've had to leave right now. But. Uh, so I, won't, I will be in Yazoo City on Friday. They've got the big shindig down there. I'll give you more details as we go. And then uh, be back to cover the ball games Saturday and Sunday. That's one thing, too, I've learned, too. I don't think I'm ever going to release a book in the spring again. It interferes too much in baseball. It just does. And I miss baseball. I love being that win or lose. I like being able to be there to be your eyes and ears and cover the Bulldogs. It's a responsibility I take very, very seriously. But uh, it is what it is. You know, we tried to get dog pile out in time for Christmas and didn't get here till February. And so – Appreciate everybody's patience with that. If you hadn't ordered Dogpile yet, you should because it'll make you it remind you of how great things were last year. Uh, I know it's easy to get caught up in the moment again. I don't care about any of that stuff. But uh, you love Mississippi State. You need to have these books. You need, you need Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Dogpile for sure. And maybe you need to get Flim Flam. You can find them all at dogpilethebook.com. A lot of people everywhere I go ask about Blooms of Oleander. I should carry those books with me so I can sell them, I guess. But uh, Blooms of Oleander, available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMillion.com, and through your local bookstore. They can order it for you uh, through Ingram. So be sure and check that out. And, and as always, Stark Villains gear available at StarkVillains.com. Come join us over at JeansPage.com. Should be a busy week for us. Looking forward to uh, to getting into some other stuff. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we got some big things in front of us. And so, uh, you know, recruiting's about to really pick up. The spring evaluation period's here. Summer camps are going to be here. Probably see a commitment or two this month, and then we'll – We'll kind of get into the summer, and I think that's when state's going to make most of their recruiting hay is going to be in the summer months. I think we'll get into uh, get into the fall, and things will kind of settle a little bit. But uh, expecting a pretty busy summer on the recruiting trail for Mississippi State. And let's not forget, the last day to enter the portal and be able to play this year was Sunday. And it'll take a day or two from all the names to process out and be in the portal. But then that's it. That's completely it. And so – you know, Jay Hampton went into portal over the weekend. Uh, Omni Wells, too. And congratulations to Omni Wells. This is the positive side of the portal. Omni Wells, a walk-on running back at Mississippi State, now has secured a scholarship at South Alabama. That's a great thing. A great young man, too. Hopefully he has a great career there at South Alabama. I think he just has the one year left. But uh, good for him. He'll have a chance to have his education paid for uh, this year. So, again, the portal craziness will calm down a little bit. Mississippi State very active on the men's and women's side. Uh, working the portal now to try to fill out rosters. But uh, should be a lot of activity this week 
uh, and in the weeks to come involving NCAA transfers. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.